Illinois lawmakers are passing a major deadline over the next several days as the 2022 session approaches its midpoint. We'll talk about that on this week's edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock. It's been a busy couple of weeks at the State House. Friday, February 25th, was the deadline for the Senate to send most of its substantive or non-budget-related bills to the House. The House's deadline is coming up next Friday, March 4th. It's usually a period when we see a flurry of activity in both chambers, but this year maybe not so much. Joining me to talk about this is our State House Bureau Chief, Jerry Nowicki, as well as reporter Grace Kinnicutt. Jerry, when this session began, a lot of people were kind of speculating this would be uh, pretty uneventful. Uh, They have a truncated schedule that aims to get them out by early April. It's an election year. Nobody wants to go back home and campaign in the middle of big controversies. Is that kind of how things are shaping out? Yeah, there there were a lot of bills to move today. Some of them I'm still catching up on. A lot of them moved last night too. But yeah, there's there's largely uh, the Democrats in power have choicefully not taken on too many controversial measures because they don't want their votes held over them, say, you know, ahead of the June primary. Now normally you do the primary in March. Um, uh, it's been postponed to COVID, but then in those years you'd see, oh, uh, maybe a little bit of a light election or a light uh, January, February, and March, and then they ramp it up in April. But this, well, with it in June this year, um, it's just sort of works out that they want to get out of here with a couple months to spare. And, you know, I'm thinking back on the last couple of years, uh, maybe the last few years, 2019, uh, Governor Pritzker's first year in office, they came in and did a massive gaming expansion, a massive road project or transportation infrastructure uh, program, legalized cannabis. Uh, There was the uh, massive Reproductive Health Act. Uh, And then in 2020, we saw all of the initiatives by the Legislative Black Caucus for health care reform and criminal justice reform. A lot of really headline-making stuff. Really not seeing so much of that this year. No, it's it's been smaller stuff. I know in 2019 that was our first year, but there, the legislature really had a lot of pent up stuff that they needed to get done, and there was just a lot of inaction during the Rauner years, and it just sort of that the, worked out that the floodgates opened when Pritzker got here, and then 2020 was almost a non year, um, and so a lot of sort of the same rule applied for 2021, where lawmakers had a lot of ideas and they were getting it out, and now we're back to a bit of a slower year. Well, there have been a few interesting bills that have passed, maybe not giant headline makers. Uh, One bill we saw go through today uh, aims at reducing the amount of single-use plastic that the state purchases when the state buys food. Uh, Can you talk about some of the other little things that we've been seeing? There was one bill that will allow DCFS workers to carry mace, which I thought was an interesting one. Our colleague Beth had covered that uh, not long ago. That was sort of uh, driven by a DCFS worker who was murdered uh, in Sangamon County, uh, where Springfield is located. Um, 
and they just it's just an added level of protection and it was a bipartisan I think unanimously passed bill today um, and then there was another one uh, you might know a little bit more about it than me regarding coal ash we have reported um, on the effects of toxic coal ash when it's near a water supply it can seep in it's just sort of the byproduct of burnt coal um, and it could uh, seep into the groundwater essentially and, and contaminate things. It's a pretty nasty product. But what did that bill uh, do that was passed today? Well, they did pass a bill, I think maybe last year, Senate Bill 9, which aimed to get coal ash pits cleaned up around uh, groundwater supplies. Uh, but it had a lot of details. And uh, apparently there is one pit in Waukegan that's within one mile of the shore of Lake Michigan that was not uh, captured in that agreement. Uh, so there was a special bill going through uh, to try and get the Waukegan uh, coal, coal ash pit uh, cleaned up as well. And there was a little bit of opposition to that because they said, you know, that coal ash bill that they pushed through earlier uh was the product of a lot of negotiation ever you know it, it took months and months to get that through and now they're kind of afraid of what message it sends when uh, you get done with the negotiation you pass a bill you realize it didn't quite do what you wanted it to do and so now you're kind of uh, going back on part of the deal uh, but that did get through the democratic controlled senate and we'll see what happens to it in the house uh, meanwhile, they are still working on new bills. I mentioned that it was the deadline to get certain bills through uh, from the Senate over to the House. Uh, this is kind of the case where some of these rules are not exactly etched in stone all of the time. Uh, for every deadline, there seems to be two or three different ways of getting around it. Uh, and so uh, earlier this week, we heard Senate Democrats come out with a package of bills aimed at relieving the teacher shortage in Illinois. Uh, our public affairs reporting intern, Grace Kinnicutt, covered that. Uh, Grace, can you tell us uh, what is it that the Senate Democrats are trying to do here? So most of the bills that the Senate Democrats introduced were for short-term, their short-term fixes, immediate relief. One of them was to allow retired teachers back into the classroom from 120 days to 140 days, along with um, letting short-term substitute teachers work from 15 consecutive days instead of five, so it provides an extra two weeks for schools to kind of address those staffing shortages. So those are things, they're kind of short-term stopgap measures to get more substitutes in, to get more, uh, to allow retired teachers to come in and fill in some of the gaps. Uh, you took part in a big reporting project we did earlier this year uh, when the regional superintendents came out with their annual survey showing that the teacher shortage is really pretty severe uh, across the state. Uh, and it doesn't seem like they're doing anything right yet at least uh, to kind of expand the pipeline to get more people going into education teacher training programs and get more licensed mm -hmm. teach full-time permanent licensed teachers uh, talk a little bit about that I mean is there do you think there's any movement back there to go in that direction I don't think there's much movement I know there was um, during the press conference the news conference they um they were talking, there was one speaker, and she, her biggest thing was there's 
she's working multiple different roles and it's kind of hard to reach out to young people and be to show them this is worth it because she's working all these different roles. Meanwhile, uh, lawmakers are still working on a budget for the upcoming fiscal year. Uh, that's one of the things not subject to these deadlines. It usually is one of the last things that passes at the end of the session. House Majority Leader Greg Harris, a Chicago area Democrat, had a news conference on Thursday of this week to talk about where they are right now. Uh, Jerry, you and I were both there. Uh, what kind of a state budget do you think we'll be looking at when it finally comes out? Yeah, it's, it's one that aims to pay down old debts, and part of that is possible by a surplus from the fiscal year 2022, which is the one we are in now, that will end June 30th. And fiscal year 2023 begins the next day. So uh, I listened to a revenue committee that said essentially for fiscal year 22, when they wrote the budget last year, uh, they anticipated $44 billion in revenue. Um, when actually now this year, uh, with all the revenue having come in for seven or eight months of that fiscal year, um, now they're projecting it'll be $48 billion by the end of the year. So some of that surplus is what's uh, driven the governor's ability to, A, uh, engage in some level of tax relief uh, for property taxpayers and a couple other things he's done, but also dedicate somewhere around $879 million to the rainy day fund, which was essentially at zero after the impasse, and then $500 million added to the pension payment between the two fiscal years, and then paying down somewhere around $900 million of old, um, is it the medical uh, uh, health The backlog part? of old bills. Yeah, yeah. The, some of the health insurance bills. But um, that's just the type of uh, uh, thing that Greg Harris said, you mm -hmm. know, paying down this old debt now and avoiding some of that interest will allow us to maybe fund some of the priorities we have in future years. And there seem to be a couple of different narratives g taking place about uh, the source of the increased, the new revenue that the state is seeing. Uh, some people say it's the result of fiscal discipline and the fact that the economy is coming out. That's mainly what you hear from Democrats. Republicans uh, are saying that a lot of this is due to the massive amount of federal relief that states received. Uh, what's the truth about that? Is it either one or both or somewhere in the middle? Yeah, I mean, the, certainly the state's in a better fiscal position since they ended the impasse. I mean, it, it was a low bar uh, to clear um, after that. But what we heard from the Department of Revenue at the committee hearing this week was that the uh, a couple factors from the federal government. It was the direct payments to Illinoisans, uh, well, obviously all Americans, but uh, in terms of the state government, the direct payments to Americans that uh, increased uh, consumer spending on goods and less on services, and Illinois doesn't tax services. So when you got the consumers changing their habits to spend more on goods, they're spending more money in a taxable area, uh, which really helped the state uh, in this regard, and then a lot of people claiming unemployment for much of the fiscal year um, had the federal benefit uh, added, I think it was 300 in the latest, uh, added $300 monthly, and that was, um, or weekly, whatever it was, 
and that was on top of revenue. They, they were actually making more on unemployment than they were prior to the pandemic, many people were. So that uh, increased the uh, tax base in that regard for income taxes as well. And then corporate taxes also did well. Okay. Well, in the meantime, we're sitting here on Friday, the 25th. Monday, the 28th, the statewide indoor mask mandate is being lifted. Uh, that applies to most public places other than schools and healthcare facilities. We just heard earlier today from the Secretary of State's office. Uh, they have jurisdiction over the Capitol area complex here in Springfield, as well as other state buildings around the state, including driver's license facilities. We're now being told that the Secretary of State employees will be masked on Monday and thereafter, but the public will be encouraged to mask, but not necessarily required to mask. We may actually see people here in the State House, uh, and around the Capitol complex, and in other public places being allowed to go in and uh, not wear masks. Meanwhile, though, the issue of masks in public schools, the mask mandate for teachers and staff and students, is being appealed to the Illinois Supreme Court. Um, even though uh, the 4th District Court of Appeals said it seems to be kind of a, a moot issue uh, because the emergency rules that the Department of Public Health had put in place were not renewed, uh, the mask mandate statewide is coming down, except in schools, and uh, the governor is saying he still wants some clarity from the Supreme Court, uh, both the governor and the attorney general, saying they want clarity from the Supreme Court in the event of another emergency. They want to know how far the governor's authority goes in requiring these kinds of mitigations. Uh, so, Jerry, you know, it seems like every time I write about this, I come away more confused than ever, and I feel like telling everybody, you know, if you're still confused about where we are right now, join the club. Uh, we're making T-shirts. Uh, but does it feel like we're kind of coming out of this again? I mean, I, I know we've uh, thought in the past that we were coming out of the pandemic. Uh, but are, are we at a new turning point here? I certainly hope so. I think the governor says, you know, when he's talking about, talking about this, he said we could have another wave. There's this new stealth Omicron variant, there's going to be a variance for I don't know how long, but hopefully there's enough immunity from the recent surges and the vaccines that we're at a point. You know, I can't, I can't speak to that. But, um, it, you know, it, it, you made a good point that it's really kind of amazing that we've gotten to this point in the pandemic. Uh, it was March 2020 when this all started, and the Supreme Court is only really just now being asked to rule. Like, how has it not gotten to them earlier? It, kind of crazy considering all the lawsuits we've seen but uh, they, they definitely need to rule and um, one of the Republicans uh, complaints that we frequently hear is we've gotten this far lawmakers have not taken a vote on the governor's authority if they would have done so we could have avoided these lawsuits altogether um, but here we are and the Supreme Court's uh, up to bat and, of course, we did, in fact, see some tension breaking out in recent days on the House floor over the House's mask mandate. Uh, we saw some Republicans refusing to put on masks. Uh, they were escorted out of the chamber. Other Republicans who were wearing masks, some of them walked out in protest. But that seems to have died down in the last couple of days. Um, the people who weren't wearing masks were allowed to participate remotely. 
So do we sense that things are kind of calming down a little bit in the house? No, they did in recent days. You know, I don't, it's anyone's guess as to whether whatever bill or whatever type of action causes a flare-up. So we'll just have to watch that as it, as it progresses. And one other bit of news this week I did want to mention is that the General Assembly has a new legislative inspector general. Our colleague Beth Hunsdorfer is away today. Uh, Jerry, can you fill us in on who this new inspector general is and what we can expect from him? Yeah, you really have to uh, read Beth's stories that are on CapitalNewsIllinois.com about that. But essentially, uh, he's a 73-year-old federal judge appointed by uh, President Clinton and approved by a Republican Senate at the time. Um, and he uh, has gotten the nickname Maximum Mike. He wants lawmakers to be a little bit afraid of him. And he moved into an empty office with no staff, so he's going to try to get that up and running as quickly as he can. There's two stories on our site that you really should read. Uh, listeners should definitely go to CapitalNewsIllinois.com and check those stories out. Finally, we can't wrap this week up without acknowledging the dramatic and frightening events that have taken place in Ukraine. Russia launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine earlier this week. Of course, Illinois does have a large population of people of Eastern European descent, including many Ukrainian Americans. We heard some of that spill over into speeches on the House and Senate floors. There are lawmakers here, especially from the Chicago area, who have large Ukrainian American constituencies. Uh, Jerry, can can you kind of talk about what the tone was there? Yeah, um, Representative Butler from Springfield was one of the uh, gentlemen who spoke out. He's recently hosted Ukrainian um, dignitaries here at the Capitol. He visited with them. He said they're his friends. He said they're all on um, Vladimir Putin's hit list at this point, assumedly. So it, it was emotional. Um, it, it's an uncertain time. It's It's harrowing to see some of those images that you see on the news and and the, uh, we had some armed service members in the house that that addressed it too um, the just the toll that it's going to have just worldwide is it, it, it really can't be understated or, or summed up by me okay well we're gonna have to leave it there for this edition of capital cast while we all keep the people of Ukraine and Eastern Europe in our thoughts and prayers Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation with funding from the Robert McCormick Foundation. Until next time, on behalf of the entire Capital News Illinois team, this is Peter Hancock saying stay safe and thank you for listening.